Hello, and welcome to Read Scholars Live. I'm your host, Mary Fleming, um, current president of Read Scholars. Today, I am joined by Dr. Kimberly Chang, who is also a fellow Read Scholar and currently works as a family physician and human trafficking and healthcare policy fellow in Asian Health Services in Oakland, California. She received her medical degree from the University of Hawaii John A. Burns School of Medicine in Honolulu and completed her family medicine re residency at San Francisco General Hospital. She completed our fellowship in minority health policy and obtained her MPH at Harvard before returning to the West Coast. Dr. Chang remains compassionate and committed to serving the clinically underserved, educating professionals on the healthcare intersect with human trafficking, improving cultural competency, and addressing global health issues. She continues to be an inspiration to us all. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Chang. Thank you, Dr. Fleming. Um, so how are you? How are things? Um, where you are? How have you been dealing with the pandemic? <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough question. The pandemic is, is <laughs> wreaking havoc everywhere. <laughs> um, but we're, we're doing well. I'm doing well at Asian Health Services. Um, we're a community health center, as, as you said, in Oakland, California, and we're committed to serving our patients and being here for them because you know, most of them don't speak any English and they're all medically underserved uh, um, uh, population. So we're committed, we're, we're still working, we're open, we're seeing patients and doing testing and taking care of business. Right, right. And so, I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, how important community health centers are in general across the country, right, and, and caring for underserved populations. Um, and you're interesting, um, dynamic with just kind of being in California and being more aware, I guess, of the possibility of the pandemic a little bit ahead of the, the rest of the country. Um, tell, tell us why that was important and how um, you, it's the best way to serve that patient population. You, do you mean um, uh, in terms of the California instituting shelter in place and stay at home orders early? Yes, yeah, that's, that's a good yeah, place I, to start. Yeah, I think uh, I think the West Coast in general um, had been been on top of the the ball in terms of monitoring uh, travelers coming in. We also had in California we had that cruise ship that right. had to dock in Oakland. So I think and 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 the state having to institute policies to make sure that workers were protected, that the the that the people who were evacuated got. Um, um, quarantined and 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 they had a good system for that. So I think California was had a lot of heightened awareness early on. My health center in general, we have such great leadership that, uh, and also because we're Asian health services, uh, you know, a lot of our patients and and our uh, leadership were following what was going on in China, especially because patients people are mobile and they travel, mm -hmm. and there's a direct line from China to to California. So we were, our leadership, my chief medical officer is really on top of that monitoring the situation and, and really early on was getting policies and protocols in place, ordering PPE starting in January. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen. We did this also for SARS back in 2000, mm. was it 2010? Um, and so, you know, uh, having that emergency preparedness, um, being a community health center where you have to have an emergency preparedness plan in place because that's something that they audit. Um, you know, I think um, our system as a whole was maybe a little earlier, uh, ready earlier. 
And that makes sense. And I think um, you had mentioned, mentioning that you are a part of the Asian Health Services and kind of the unfortunate commentary that happened at the beginning of this when, when the um, COVID-19 was attached to almost China specifically and, and, and the backlash that kind of happened with um, how people responded here in the States to the, to the virus and where it came from. Um, what, what are your thoughts on um, how that transpired and kind of how do we um, erase that association, if you will? Yeah, you know, uh, it's unfortunate that uh, these kinds of issues that affect everybody and are not um, determined by specific race or ethnicity uh, can get used in that way by political actors. Um, you know, this this issue of the pandemic and COVID is no different from any other issue that affects people, right? And so, um, when 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 we talk about COVID and Asian uh, issues and anti-Asian racism, I think we have to understand that this is no different from any other issue that's affecting disenfranchised patients or vulnerable patients or, or oppressed or minority uh, uh, patients. And so, um, but, but the, the, the difference is that the rhetoric uh, has real consequences on on people. You know, others follow what leaders say, and there's been an increase of violence and hate crimes, discrimination, exclusion, ostracism. But we have to understand that we aren't victims because these kinds of things have come at Asians, at African Americans, at Latinos, all throughout the United States history, Native Americans, yes. right? Um, people who are minority um, in whatever way it's uh, defined. And so this is not a different issue from all of the other issues that have happened over history. <laughs> and so we have to remember that we're not victims. We know how to rise above and, and work together in solidarity and together. We're all in this together. We unite in our humanness, in our humanity. We are resilient communities. We define community very broadly to encompass all of us who are oppressed or vulnerable and, and not divide people. So, you know, at Asian Health Services, we do, we, we do that um, very broadly. We don't just look at it as an Asian issue. This is an Asian issue for all of us. Um, and so we have to remember that we're a strong, resourceful, compassionate, sophisticated community. We've had this kind of anti-Asian or anti-Latino um, anti or anti-immigrant or anti-African-American um, issues come at us as people before, and we can rise above it. We have in many ways. Very true, and I, and, um, I, I just remember hearing, you know, having that visceral response to hearing those comments early on and, and being very concerned. And I mean, and we do, like you said, we remember, we can even think about 9-11 and kind of that um, mm, yes. um, anti, to say broadly Middle Eastern sentiment after that. and. And that was also trouble, troubling and problematic. But um, I hope that, you know, as we continue to, like you said, unite as communities across um, marginalized uh, communities and populations that we can try to work um, against those, those thought processes and, and, and respond positively to the negative rhetoric and, and move on. Um, and, and just 
pivoting just slightly, because I know you do a lot of work around um, human trafficking and you kind of mentioned kind of violence and some of the communities around this type of issue. Um, can you speak some to uh, when we have these type of natural disasters or pandemics, does that change violence in, in any of the communities? Are you, are you concerned there? Yeah, Mary, uh, Dr. Fleming, sorry, I called you Mary, Dr. Fleming. That's my name too. <laughs> I know, I know. I guess because you called me Dr. Chang, so I'm going to call you Dr. Sunny. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, during, during natural disasters, uh, we know that domestic violence, child abuse, trafficking, human trafficking increases. And if you think about this pandemic, you, you can read any, if, if you do a search on COVID and abuse, you'll see in every newspaper, every country around the uh, every state around the country, that uh, there are instances where domestic violence, child abuse, exploitation are increasing. Uh, people are stuck in their homes with abusers. They have all of their ways of escaping or leaving or having other outlets are shut down because they have to stay at home. There's it's a fear of staying at home versus a fear of going outside and and getting sick. Okay. Um, with schools being shut down, child abuse, and, and, and their inter uh, kids' intersections with, um, or interactions with mandated reporters, educators, are gone, have gone way down. And so has child abuse gone away? No, we think it's going up. In terms of human trafficking, if you look at the economic situation and the depression that we're entering, uh, people are going to be very desperate to get their needs met. Uh, their needs met, um, and <clears throat> you know this. This is this is a, a ripe for exploitation, um, for labor or sex. Uh, there was an article in Honolulu, Hawaii, about landlords pressuring tenants for sex because they couldn't make their rent. And so this is a form of exploitation. This is on the spectrum for sex trafficking, and this is going to increase. So we have to find ways and retool and re redevelop um, our protocols in the health center to try to uh, meet the needs of our patients and make sure that we're able to give vulnerable patients at risk of abuse and violence an outlet. Do you, just as a takeaway for anybody listening, um, if, if you're just an everyday person and you are concerned about, uh, you know, intimate partner violence or human trafficking, what, what's the best thing to do? Is there, do you call the police or do you call a hotline or what, how do you, what's the best way to report that if you're concerned? Well, so there's, there's different mandatory reporting in different states. So you'd have to know your state mandatory reporting. My go-to is not to call the police right away, you know, initially you have unless unless that somebody is an immediate risk right you're witnessing it their lives or right right or or, or um hurting somebody else um and so you have to think about with people who are in abusive situations um they know they know what is the safest course of action for themselves so the the thing that we should do is provide universal education redefine what is uh, healthy and not healthy because they might have normalized unhealthy behaviors in the past and say, oh, well, it's just because 
um, it's stressful and this is this is just this time. But then, you know, redefining and reframing those um, uh, behaviors, universal education, and then uh, uh, confidentiality, of course, um, universal education, um, and then support, making sure that they have and that you're able to give them the hotlines, the numbers, places to reach out, safe spaces, um, talking through a safety plan, safety planning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what would they do if they were in a situation where they really felt that this is not manageable for them. Um, so th this is the work out of Futures Without Violence. And so you can go to the Futures Without Violence website. It's called the CUES, C-U-E-S, Confidentiality, Universal Education and Support. And, um, you know, there's a whole lot of tools on there. Now, for each person, each provider, you should know what your local resources are. You know, you can get the national hotlines and they can connect you to local resources, but um, <clears throat> but you should know you should you should know what your local resources. Let me see if I can get that um that national hotline number for you here. And that's helpful. I think you know, um, one like you said, it's it's a lot about learning what to look for, um, learning what populations may be at most risk, so that if you um, are able to help people in real time. But I think also just a lot of times, one, you, like you said, you, we need to be better trained, but if we do suspect something, um, knowing what to do next to be most helpful, right? And not uh, put somebody in more danger trying to be helpful. And I think, you know, to your point, that's why we need um, improved training around the, around the subject and, and just heighten awareness, like you said. <laughs> Yeah, you want you want the uh, National Domestic Violence Hotline? Sure. Yeah, yeah sure. It's one eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three. And so you can look that up on any website, and uh, you know any Google, do a search, and you can get that. And uh, patients can call this and and get connected um, to local resources. I think that's helpful. It's always just good to have actionable information as well. Um, and so just kind of as we pull to a close, I, I think there's, there's always a couple of things that I, I like to highlight in this special series since we're in, since we're in this unique um, world of COVID-19 and, and how we're responding to it and, and hoping that as we, talk, as we kind of started off our conversation, there's, there are certain aspects of this that, is, that are not new, right? And um, we're always trying to make sure that we don't repeat um, any of our negative behaviors or, or unfortunate respect, res mistakes in the future. So I'd like to ask, um, what, is, what do you think the biggest challenge has been for you either personally or professionally um, during the pandemic? And what do you hope that we as a broad community um, learn, for this, learn from this going forward? <laughs> yeah, so I guess personally, and this might might mimic um, lots of folks folks out there, but personally, it's been really. I think it's been really difficult. The isolation. I, I live alone, and uh, the isolation, um, not being so connected to work. Um, I um, and not knowing when I can see my family uh, again um, uh, in Honolulu. Uh, that's that's been a little bit challenging and tough. Uh, my, my mother and my grandma, my grandmother's 96 years old and she's in Honolulu. I, I put them on shelter in place already maybe two and a half months ago. Um, 
And so we FaceTime and things like that. But I worry. I worry about my patients. I worry about my family, my friends. I worry about healthcare workers. I worry about essential workers. You know, it's a. I think all of the inequalities <laughs> that existed pre-pandemic have been amplified by by COVID, and it's at the top of my mind all the time. And that's that's a little bit uh, that's been a little bit difficult. Um, to have it amplified and always there when you wake up in the morning, when you're thinking, when you're thinking about going to gro- grocery shopping. Story, and yeah. and then when I think about it, it's not, I, I'm in such a privileged position, right? We're, we're doctors, we have financial security, we have jobs, we have a place to live, uh, we have education, uh, we have knowledge. Knowledge is always helpful when, when thinking about this, un, this virus that doesn't really have uh, a lot of, um, uh, that's that's brand new and we don't know a whole lot about. So what, and when I think about that privileged position that 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 I'm in, that that you're in, that we as alumni fellows are in, I, you know, that that makes me have to feel like and motivated to continue on because other people need help and and we have the ability to do that. Um, so that's that's one of the learnings. Really appreciating what we can right. do and what we can contribute, and feeling grateful for that. But it's hard. It's, it's definitely hard. It is definitely hard. So um, I mean, it kind of answered, I guess, both questions in that answer. Um, but what? So tell me what you're looking forward to. <laughs> I'm looking forward to a vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Fair enough. <laughs> right? Uh, uh, you know, it's like, Mar- uh, Dr. Fleming, don't you wish you had gone to get a PhD in, oh <laughs> in virology and immunology? And I, you know, I often think about that, uh, that group of professionals, the people who are actively working in, in immunology and virology and, and testing. And that, you know, that's another level of stress, right? Trying to make sure that you're mm-hmm. working as hard as you can to hopefully produce something um, as quick as possible with this, and and this is an aside, but I've said often, it's interesting in this, um, I think because it's 2020 and we have just such ready access to social media, to news media, to, um, it's it's just so much conversation about it and everything comes out so quickly. And so when we talk about a vaccine, like we know that vaccines take a long time to make. Um, but because we've had so much news media about vaccines, 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 people, the expectation is like there's going to be a vaccine next week, you know? Um, and so it's an interesting conversation to oh, have these scientific conversations in, in general, um, in the general media. And you're like, no, that's, <laughs> you're like, oh, no. <laughs> um, so it's, it's interesting just because we have so much ready access to information these days. So. Um, but um, I thank you for joining us today. You know what else I'm, I'm looking forward to? Please. Well, one more thing, one more thing that I'm looking forward to. I think this uh, COVID pandemic has, what I'm looking for is that, uh, forward to is that um, there are more people who become aware of the structural um, racism and inequalities and realize that the government doesn't work for everybody mm-hmm. all the time. 
and that um, you know organizing uh, solidarity, mm-hmm. new way uh, new ways of um, um, coming together to support each other and support people who are vulnerable um, developed. So that's what I'm looking forward to. I think that's going to happen. I think it's already happening. And that's, that's something very positive that can come out of this. I like it. Hopefully. I think so. <laughs> no, I think it will. I mean, I, I, I have, um, I have faith in us as humans that we will continue to do better and be better. And I think that is a very optimistic and lovely way to end our conversation today. Um, <laughs> so thank you again for joining us. Be safe. And I will um, hopefully get to see you soon. <laughs> I know. Well, hopefully, hopefully. Maybe maybe next year. Maybe next year. Hope, cross our fingers for 2021. Maybe next year. The hope for, yes, yes. All right. Thank you, Dr. Fleming. Thank you for all you're doing and these wonderful podcasts and stay safe, be healthy, be well. You too. Thanks.